Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for the joy and privilege to stand before you as our King. Lord, we thank you that as we celebrate Christ the King this Sunday, Lord, that you have chosen us so that we might call you our own. Lord, we thank you for the way that you speak through your word and ask this morning that you would break it small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. You may be seated. In the liturgical calendar, we stand today on the church equivalent of New Year's Eve, the precipice of something new as we look forward to the beginning of Advent and the coming celebration of Christmas and at the conclusion of something old as we celebrate the last Sunday in the church year. But more than that, today as we gather, we also have the joy and the privilege of celebrating what is Christ the King Sunday. As we mentioned last week, the month of November, the last month in the church year, is bookended between All Saints Day at the beginning of the month and Christ the King Sunday at the end. And in the entire month of November, we have been prepared for the season of Advent, which prepares for the coming of Christ on Christmas. Perhaps you sensed the trend in our readings this morning. Whether it was the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, or in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, where God tells John that he is, was, and is to come. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But in our gospel text for this day, the kind of kingship that the people of Israel looked for was not that of the Ancient of Days or the Alpha and the Omega, but rather one that would free them, liberate them from the oppression of Roman rule. They sought a king that would restore them to their state of the glory days of old, where they would stand as a mighty nation, as God's chosen people over the earth. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or do you ask because someone else has said this about me? In either case, 
they would both be true. But Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter because as he wraps up this dialogue with Pilate, we see that he is not just the king of the Jews, but in fact, the king of truth. And more than that, the king that comes unrecognized. People fail and failed to recognize their king because he comes in truth. We have become so much more accustomed to hearing falsehood and deception than we are in actually receiving truth. And as a matter of fact, nine times out of ten, when we receive truth, it's generally not because we want it. And yet it's so prevalent in everything that we engage in that the hashtag fake news has been trending since before Donald Trump was even elected. Everything has to be fact-checked ad nauseum, and yet the facts that we are given are still subjective to the one providing them. And so we are left in a place where when we seek truth, where do we actually find it? So that this fake news ceases to be a rally cry against falsehood and no longer needs to be a lament for its dominance in our lives. As Jesus speaks truth to the Jewish people, they call him out and say, that he is a liar, that it cannot be when he tells them that they need to be born again. And they say, well, we're children of Abraham. We are part of that covenant that God made with him, so we're good. Thanks, Jesus. And Jesus turns and tells them, that they are of their father, the devil, who himself is the father of lies and whose native tongue is lies. The prince of this world is the father of lies and deception is his native tongue. And so you don't think this is fake news and you want to fact check it. You can find it at the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44. The king of truth and the false prince of lies stand in constant opposition against each other. But we are so consumed by falsehood and deception that truth has become foreign. And this isn't anything new. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God tells them not to eat of the tree. And then the serpent says, did God really say? Verse 
The truth has become foreign, foreign, and yet calls us to reflect on a different kind of kingdom anyway. So that we're not focused on the kingdom of Israel and being a great nation, but instead that we are focused on thy kingdom come. The truth confronts us with our own need for our king that doesn't look like us. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered and says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Now, this is a fascinating statement that Jesus makes here. Because in chapter 18 of the Gospel of John, we see the betrayal of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is something that is accounted for across all four Gospels. And as they come to capture Jesus, they come not just with Judas not just with one guard, but with a slew of guards armed to the hilt with them. So much so that Jesus even says, why? I go with you willingly. Don't you think that if I wanted to right now that I could call down a legion of angels? And yet he chooses not to. But in spite of that, one of his disciples still pulls out his sword and slashes off the ear of one of the temple servants because he has to defend Jesus. And for the record, this wasn't like a well-aimed blow where we were just giving a warning strike. This was a, he probably meant to chop the guy's head off and just wasn't made to be a swordsman. And yet Jesus tells Pilate, If I were a king of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over. You see, we wrestle with kingship when it calls us off the throne. We don't usually usurp or steal this kind of throne intentionally. And most of the time, it happens without us even realizing it. Things happen in our life. Good 
things, bad things, trials, triumphs, and we find ourselves standing as we were the king of our own life. But there's still warning signs and symptoms that we are aware of. How we cope in the highs and lows speaks to our sense of kingship. As the sons of thunder, James and John, are riding high at the peak of authority in Jesus' ministry with them on earth. They have the audacity to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, when you enter your kingdom, can we sit on your right and on your left? Or, because they have been filled with this power and this sense of authority by acquaintance, as Jesus is disrespected coming through the towns and villages, They actually say, Lord, would you like us to call down fire from heaven now? Because they've got to defend Jesus. They have to stand for their king. Or in the lows, where we see in this 18th chapter of John, there's this interspersal of events where in between Jesus being on trial with the chief priests and being on trial with Pilate, Peter denies Jesus the three times that were predicted. So as Peter in the lowest of lows stands off in the distance and watches Jesus suffer as an innocent man He is approached three times. Weren't you with him? Aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? And three times he says, I do not know the man. Or perhaps we're like the people of Israel where they are so anxious for freedom. That when they are given the choice between this itinerant rabbi carpenter from Podunk, Nazareth, who they've seen feed 5,000 people, not once, but 4,000 people, so twice, raise the dead, heal the sick, restore sight to the blind, proclaim the good news, and speak with authority that comes only from heaven, And they're given the choice between him and some insurrectionist rebel named Barabbas. They choose Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. We relegate Jesus' kingship to its usefulness in our plans. Jesus, you can be king when my life is going just according to plan and I might need some tweaking here and there. Jesus, you can be king when I really need you, but until then, uh, thanks, I'll call you. Our generosity and stewardship 
reflect our level of ownership in what belongs to God. When we try to sit as the king upon our own throne and we look out and we say, yep, all that, that's mine. I worked hard for it. I earned it. I inherited it. It's mine. But the question begs itself. As we heard in the parable of the rich man in the storehouses, what legacy will we leave when God reclaims the breath that he has given us and calls us home to be with him in heaven? Or more appropriately for today, which kingdom does our stewardship reflect as individuals and as a corporate body that gathers? Where does our heart beat in ministry? The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Office of Youth Ministry released a study that they had done in 2017 identifying key retention factors in retaining confirmands once they have finished confirmation. Because the reality is, is that in most churches, Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, Evangelical, across the board, there is a huge gap between those of the ages of 18 up to that point. They're usually drugged to church by their parents. And somewhere in the range of 35 to 42. And the question becomes, which kingdom does our stewardship reflect? Do we say we're building up the castle so it continues to be strong and fortified and the walls get higher and higher and higher? Or do we see thy kingdom come and see it expand across the four corners of the earth? From Jerusalem to Judea and beyond. Pilate asks in the verse that follows our reading today and actually says, what is truth? Why does it matter? What is truth anyway? Your truth is fine for you and my truth is fine for me, but what is truth at all? And Jesus is very clear in saying that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And that for this purpose, he says, I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In the days of old, whether you look at a king of Israel or a king of Babylon or a king of Assyria or king wherever, these men would surround themselves with wise men for counsel and guidance. The source of the counsel that we seek 
is indicative of where we allow authority to rest. So what voices do we listen to? Everyone who is of the truth, Jesus says, listens to my voice. So that when we face trials and triumphs alike, when we look and we say, how can we meet this need? How can we actively and aggressively minister to all people across the board? How can we create space for folks to genuinely wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus and know him? It's not out of fear, because if we don't, we're going to die, right? That's what the devil would lead us to believe. But the promise of God that says that his church will endure through the ages. And that his word will not return to him empty. Because everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Christ the King comes to bear witness to the truth so that thy kingdom come means something very different, tangibly real in our lives, and it's not just some words that we speak. Because no one comes to the Father except through Him. And this is a truth that does not change. It doesn't change yesterday, it doesn't change today, and it doesn't change tomorrow. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.